So I've known Isaac since he was, how old do you think? Seven, maybe? Like about seven years old. So uh, we attended his father's church. And Isaac, when he was like seven years old, was very, very shy and quiet and, you know, didn't say much. I don't know if you can believe that or not, right? <laughs> People change. But, and he used to come over and he would mow like our lawn. We like hired him one seven to come over to our lawn. And literally he would come like this and he would just like mow like that. And then he would just leave. He'd be like, Isaac, 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 you want some lemonade? You want to say hi? And <laughs> you know, but when he was real little, um, he, he would look at me, and I must have seemed huge at the time, right? And I had a beard, and so I'm um, finished for my heritage, so the Viking heritage, and his dad always, you know, did that. So in a seven-year-old's eyes, I was like a big, huge Viking guy. But now it's like, I look at Isaac, and so when I first came here, Isaac had hyped me up. He's like, oh yeah, he's this big Viking guy. You look at it, and everyone <laughs> looked at him, and they're like, where's the big guy? <laughs> so that's the Viking brother thing. Um, but yeah, so a lot's happened since we've last been here. Um, we now have two grandchildren. I don't think we had those before. Um, so we have a two-year-old uh, grandson named uh, Ezekiel. <laughs> that doesn't look good for the grandpa part, right? <laughs> I had Isaac on my brain. And then a, uh, uh, how old is Hazel now? About six months old or so. And my wife over there has plenty of pictures if you guys are up to that kind of uh, enjoyment or torment, whichever you, whichever it may be. Um, I want to talk today about fear, worry, anxiety, and God. And it is such an important thing that we understand this. So the message today is going to be a little bit different. Normally I know you guys go through like a book of the Bible and you like pick a passage and stuff um, like that. So there was a handout that I brought up. It's got all of our Bible verses that we're going to be looking at today. It's like two pages, so there's a lot of stuff. So we're really going to kind of look through what does Scripture have to say about this. And so um, if you can page fast in your Bible, use that. If not, there's a sheet here. And here's one if anybody needs it. One didn't get it because I've got them all written down. No? All right. Um, but so the question was, what has this past year been like for you? What has it been like? Have you been anxious Worried? Fearful? Seems like if you haven't had some of that go on this past year, then you probably don't have a TV. <laughs> or a computer, or, you know, like a, like a cell phone, that, you know, like a smartphone, or like, you know, people that talk about it, right? Because this entire world has been going through this, right? For this whole last year, as a world, we have been experiencing what this has been like. And worldwide, there's been this huge loss of health. There's this loss of life. There's been a loss of money. There's been a loss of stability, a loss of, self, of a sense of control, and a loss of freedom on top of it. And whenever that kind of stuff happens, along with that seems to come this loss of peace. And it enters into this worry and this anxiety and this fear of these things that are going on. And so this morning I want to talk about that. And I want to address it. And um, it's going to be kind of a thick sermon today because there's a lot of stuff that Scripture says about it. There's a lot of, like, experience that we go through. There's a lot of stuff that we see when we go through this. So, first of all, I want to look at it, what it is that we go through. What are some of the lies that fear, worry, and anxiety tell us? What is the truth that God tell us? And um, how does God provide for us in these difficult situations? How does God work during these times? And finally, we look at some practical things that we can do as well. So, um, right off front, I want to say a lot of the material that I got from this sermon is from a book by a guy named Ed Welch. It's called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God Arrest. Absolutely 
fantastic book. If, uh, if this subject concerns you, again, the guy's name is Ed Welch. Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Wrath. So sometimes I'm going to quote him directly. Um, if he says something in a unique way, that's helpful to hear the quote. But if not, just know that a lot of this stuff is his. I'm just not going to you know, refer him every time. Um, so I want to pray just before we uh, just go any further. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we look past at this year. And Lord, it is a year unlike any year that we have ever experienced, Lord. It's a year, Lord, where the entire world, the entire world has gone through the same situation at the same time. And the whole world has suffered with fear and worry and anxiety, Lord. But you have not changed, Lord. You are there and you are called the God of peace, Lord. And we look to you now, and we ask that you'll be with us this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be with us this morning, Lord, that we might understand you and your power and your steadfast love for us, Lord. So be with us this morning, we pray. Amen. So what are some of the things that we experience when we go through fear and worry and anxiety? Because see, there's both a universal kind of experience that if you experience fear or anxiety, this is what it looks like. But at the same time, there's a, there's a unique individual thing. We're all different. We're in different, different places and different times. And so there's going to be an experience that is totally, completely unique to you that isn't like anybody else. And so we want to look at these universal things and then top stuff for a minute, just kind of look at ourselves and, and the things that we go through. The first of all, we need to understand that fear comes naturally, right? It just, it just, happens. No one tells a child, okay, it's getting dark out, now's the time to be afraid, <laughs> right? <laughs> they don't say, okay, there might be like some slimy, gooey monster somewhere, and you need to do it, right? No, they're just afraid. It just comes natural. And as we get older, fear doesn't leave us. But you know what happens? We add anxiety, and we add worry to the fear that was already, that was already there. So I'm going to use these terms, fear, worry, and anxiety, together. It's all the same. I might use it sometimes or whatever, but it's basically the same package. But it is helpful to know what's the difference between fear and worry and anxiety. And Ed Welch, this is a direct quote from him, but he says this, because I thought this is very helpful. He says, fear refers to an experience like a car that's racing towards us, right? So picture this, a car is racing towards you, and you've got to get out of the way for whatever reason. That is fear. I need to get out of the way. Worry and anxiety is that lingering sense that long, past, long since the car has passed, that life is fragile, that we're vulnerable, that that could happen again. And that's what that worry and that anxiety comes in, and it walks, and it walks through that way. But again, for today, I'm just going to kind of lump them all together. So what are some of those specifics about fear? What are these things that we can learn that are kind of there? One of the things is that fear, worry, and anxiety can become intractable. In other words, they stay with us. Our minds continually go to the same thoughts over and over and over. And it becomes like that river that continually flows, right? It flows into the same place, and the riverbed becomes deeper and deeper. And so our thoughts automatically just kind of go that way because that stream kind of comes that way. Another thing is that fear wants to be in control. Fear wants relief, and it wants relief now. And it makes your mind run and race, and it doesn't want you to slow down at all. It doesn't want you to sit still and to know that God is in control. Fear, now I'm going to separate these two things, fear lives in the past, in the present, and in the future. And whenever we experience fear, there's this physical stuff that comes along with it. 
And these responses, these physical responses, they're real. We've got like shaking, we might have heart palpitations, right? Shortness of breath, dizziness, these things happen. And what's amazing about fear and why I say it, it lives in the past, the present, the future, you can go back to something that happened in the past and dwell on it and think about it. You can have the same physical reactions. Your body does it the same way. Think of PTSD, that's what happens. People go back and they think about it and the body reacts as if it's happening this very moment, this very second. And that's the way the, the body reacts to it. So fear lives in the past, the present, and the future. Um, worry and anxiety live in the future. Worry and anxiety live in the future. Something might happen. Or I might lose something. I might lose my health, my 401k, my job, or my loved ones. Or someone might laugh at me. They might ridicule me. They might scorn me. They might reject me. Or I might not get something that I need. I might not get a job. I might not get married. I might not get a house. I might never be able to retire at all. And so these are where fear and worry, or I mean worry and anxiety, they live in the future. What might happen? What might take place later on? Another thing about fear is fear resists logic. Fear resists logic. You can give it all the stats. You can give it all the Bible verses. And a person can even believe that worry does them no good whatsoever. But fear is still immune to that. It's still immune to that reason, even understanding it. You can show a person who's afraid of flying all the safety statistics. You can let them know that that uh, flying is the safest form of travel that there possibly is, and they will still be afraid to fly because fear is immune to that logic. And you know what else? Worry and anxiety tend to increase over the years, at least that potential to increase over the years. Why? Because we have more things. We care about more people. We watch more news. And so these things happen. And then if we ever have a panic attack, we, and the fear dies down, that's over. We now add the worry and the anxiety that, we're gonna that we might have another panic attack. And so that kind of goes through. And so it tends to multiply on the time. You know what's amazing too? The enemy's plan, the enemy's plan is for you to have fear and anxiety and to have it multiply in your life. Why? Why would that be the reason? The reason is because worry stops spiritual life and growth. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is talking about these parables, and there's four different things that he talks about, and this is the first one that's in your handout. Um, but he describes what happens to these four seeds, and in one of them he says this, and this is Mark 4, verses 18 to 19. It said, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Did you hear that? He says there's three things that choke the word of God. The seedfulness of wealth, the desires for these other things in life, and the worries of life. And they choke out the word of God. See, worry is focused inward. It's not focused outward. It's about protection. It's about self-protection. It's inward. It doesn't look outward to God. It doesn't look outward to God's protection, but it just looks inward. And so worry can hear the word of God and remain completely unmoved. And that's how it chokes out the word of God. And this is why the enemy wants you to live in a state of worry and fear and anxiety, because it's going to choke out the word. It's going to stop. So 
What are some of these universal things, too? I'm sorry, those are some of the universal things. There's a whole lot more to it. Um, but those are some of the experiences that we all have. My question for you is, how do they manifest themselves in your own life? Because we're all unique and we have these unique situations, right? And no one's experience is the same as anyone else's. They're all different, right? We've gone through different things. We've lived different lives. We've, we're different people. Um, but most fears comes in the thoughts of, I might ne get something that I absolutely need and I can't live without. Or I might lose something that I cannot lose. Or something might happen and I won't be able to handle it. So what are the usual suspects, right? There's fear for your safety. There's fear for the safety of those around you and the, and the safety that you love. There's the fear of being unloved or being alone. There's the fear of being in love and being possibly being hurt. There's the fear of living a meaningless life. There's the fear of other people judging you, of you not being able to live up to other people's expectations. There's fears about what you might lose. Your figure, your youth, your hair, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, respect from others, purpose in life, faith, job, money, retirement, your health, your mind, or even your life. These are some of the, these are the, some of the things that we go through. And just think, what is it, what are these things that, are, that have brought up this year that you've seen? Just think through those things. It's important to remember that fear lies. Fear lies to you. What are some of the lies that it tells you? We've already looked at a bunch of them, right? Reason can't be trusted, logic can't be trusted, advice from other people can't be trusted, the Bible can't be trusted, because these fears and worries, these problems are much greater than what these other things are. And fear tells you that you can't live without this, you can't, you're just not gonna make it without it. Worry says that God is not compassionate. It says that God is not loving. It says that God is not really in control and that he really can't protect you. Or the other lie that it says is, okay, yeah, God is loving and God's compassion and God's in control, but he doesn't care about enough about you. Yeah, he helps those other people because we can see it and we can hear what they say. So we know that he helps those, but God gives them peace and God helps them because they deserve it. And fear says you don't deserve it that you're not good enough, and so God won't do it. And these are the lies. These are the lies that fear and more anxiety tell you all the time. Fear lies to you about God, about who he is, about his love, about his compassion, about his control, and about his ability. So now we have to look at what is God's truth, right? Because we need to be aware of the lies that, that they tell, but we need to be even more aware, probably, of what the truths are that, that God says. So, first of all, God's truth is this. God is sovereign, and God is in control. We've looked back at this last year, and I'm sure many people have wondered, is there any control? Is God in control? It just seems like, just everything just seemed odd and just weird. But God is in control, Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. God's truth is that God directs the course 
of nations. God is in control and he directs the course of nations. Psalm 22, 8, for the kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. God's truth is that God is loving. Psalms 36, 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 109, 21, but you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. Deliver me. And the answer here is that God delivers him and God delivers us. What else is God's truth? Nothing can separate you from God and from God's love. Romans 8, 38 and 39, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's truth. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. God's truth also is that God guides your path. God directs your path. Proverbs 16, 19. And it's funny, you know, I, don't, I don't really have like a life verse, but I have verses that I've gone through over and over and over and over in my life. And this is probably like the top like three things, I think, especially in times of like uncertainty or, you know, confusion, or actually even in times of regret when I've, when I've regretted something or I've looked at it, it's like, man, that was just, that whole thing just like that. I always go back to this one right here. Proverbs 16, 19, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan and we make decisions based on the information that we have and we try to make the best possible decision based on every piece of information that we have. And so we make our plan based on that. But you know what? God is going to direct our steps or he's going to establish our steps. And if it's different than what our plan is, God will move us this way. It's going to look odd. But that is the truth of God. That is God's truth. And so we look at everything that's went through. Did anybody plan this <laughs> this year? Right? Not even remotely. And yet God has been there the entire time. And he establishes your steps. And as you've walked through this year, as you've walked through your life, as you've walked through all of this, um, all of these things, and I see some uh, school, high school, I'm assuming right there, um, just the things of not even being able to be in the school, you know, and these things that are nobody's plan, you know, for this. And yet God has established these steps and God will walk through these things. And that is God's truth. And we can never, ever, ever forget this. Another thing we need to know is that God gives us grace for today and for tomorrow, but God never promises a grace that removes all hardships. He promises grace, but not when that removes all hardships. Right? You never hear God reasoning with anxious people by saying, look, what are the odds of that really happening anyway? Just don't worry about it. Right? I mean, God never, ever does that. God never says, ah, don't worry, I'm not going to let it happen to you at all. What does he say? Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, Amen. even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is what God tells you. And Isaiah 41, 10, the verse from this morning, fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God cares for you. And this is God's truth. Matthew uh, 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. So in times of fear and worrying is us, when you find yourself worried, when you find yourself anxious, when you find yourself fearful, you really want to ask yourself two different questions. Number one, what are the lies right now that fear is telling me? What are the lies that fear is telling me? And what is the truth that God is telling me? Because it's important that you understand that those lies will be spoken to you over and over and over. And you need to recognize that what are these lies and what is God's truth um, as you walk through that. So we've looked at the experience of fear and worry and anxiety, right? The lies of fear and the truth of God. And I want to turn the corner. And I want to look now at how God works as he provides for us. Um, you guys hanging with me? <laughs> okay. I said this one was going to be pretty heavy and pretty thick and pretty dense, so just to make sure we're still with you, right? We've looked at the experience. We're moving on. How does God work in our life? Because now we want to know, what is it that God does in these times? Because sometimes we don't really know, and it's difficult to see. And we're all going to have these different experiences. So. Hmm. so, God works in many, many different ways to provide for us. We can't even pretend to know all the ways, right? We can't even barely scratch the surface, or we can't even scratch the surface. But I do want to look at a few of these today. The first one is God provides for us in just ordinary ways. We get jobs, we get houses, we have food, we have family, and we have churches, and God is providing all of these things for us. You know, we often overlook the fact that these are God's gifts because it just seems normal. We just think, well, this is what we've done. I've got a job, I've worked, I've, I've done all this stuff. Or that's just the way life is, right? We have a house, we have food, we have these things. But this is one of the ways that God provides us. It's just a normal, ordinary way. But let's look at some of the different ways, too. The second way, this is what Ed Welch calls the manna principle. So think manna, uh, the bread in the Old Testament here. He says God, um, God miraculously um, rescues the people from Egypt, right? He takes them out. And now they're in this um, wilderness, and they have no food. And it says that they grumble and they cry out to God. So listen to this. This is in Exodus uh, 16, just portions. Um, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Just imagine that. He's talking to him. He's like, look over there. And the glory of God appears in a cloud. Just an amazing thing. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God hears their prayer, and he answers them. And he sends manna from heaven. And for the next 40 years, continually, no interruption whatsoever, he feeds them. And they see the glory of God every single morning. And they know that he is the Lord, their God. 
But I want you to notice one thing, and I don't know if you picked it up in this when we were reading that, but what do you think of their prayer? <laughs> so they grumbled, right? Not exactly a model prayer, is it, right? They're grumbling. They're afraid. There is real worry and there is real anxiety. Are we going to have food tomorrow <coughs> or the next day or the next week or the next month? There is, there is serious fear and worry and anxiety. And yet God hears them and God answers them. Even though we would look at their prayer and say, maybe it was faithless or maybe it was what? It was just like grumbling. And yet God hears their prayer and he answers them. And so important that we understand that, especially during these times, right? Because God doesn't hear you because of the quality of your prayers. God hears you because he is the Lord who hears. And if he heard them and he loved them and he provided for them, he hears you and he loves you and he will provide you um, as, as well. And so they got the bread every day. They saw the glory of God. Jesus teaches us to pray in that same way, doesn't he? Give us this day our daily bread. And this is one of the ways that God provides for us is through this manna. Next thing is what Ed Welch calls 11th hour deliverance. These are deliverances that come at the very, very last moment, right before the clock strikes midnight. This happens, the Israelites are first leaving um, Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt. Pharaoh and his army is like chasing them down. They come up to the uh, Red Sea. The sea is in front of them. There's this army right behind them. There is nowhere to go. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. They are exposed and they are weak and defeat seems absolutely 100% definite that they will. And they cry out to God because he is the Lord who hears. And God answers them. Exodus 14, 13, 14. Moses tells the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord delivers them at the 11th hour. The last minute, right before midnight, and they see the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes God works in our lives that way. And maybe he has over this last year. This might be one of those times right now that God is working for you. But you know what? That's not the end. That's not the only way that God provides for us. Because Ed Wells says there's one more, and he calls it God's deliverance after hope dies. God's deliverance after hope dies. See, up until the 11th hour, there's still hope. It might happen. This might be taken care of. This might be there. There's still hope. And Walt says, God sometimes delivers after hope dies. He says this, a direct quote from him. Eleventh hour deliverances, spectacular as they are, were actually just a prelude to something even more dramatic. As you read through scripture, there's this gradual progression. Initially, the deliverances are at the last minute. But by the time you get to the New Testament, they are delayed to the point where even those who are tenacious in clinging to God have lost hope. So, think of uh, um, Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, right? He's very, very, very sick. The sisters send word, he's sick. They ask Jesus to come, and Jesus delays. And Lazarus dies. And hope dies. But that's not the end of the story, because Jesus goes there. 
And these women that are full of faith, they say, Jesus, if you had been there, he would not have died, right? The 11th hour, if you had made it, that 11th hour, he would not have died. They both have faith that Jesus could have performed this miracle. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And even listen to the faith, right? The faith, but the no hope. Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Their hope and their faith in Christ was not shaken. Their faith in God was not shaken. But there was no 11th hour deliverance for their brother. But they know that he, they're going to see him again in heaven. But they can't conceive a del- of a deliverance after hope has died. Lazarus was buried in the tomb. He had been in there for four days. They had rolled a stone in front of it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And Jesus raises him from the dead. He brings him back back to life, and God is glorified. Think of Jesus Christ. Think about his death. Think about what the disciples went through when he died. The disciples gave up everything. Everything they had, they gave up and they followed him. They've been following him for years. He is their Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is everything, and he is killed. He's crucified. And when he dies, their hope dies. Disciples don't know what to do because they cannot imagine a deliverance after hope has died. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And his true glory is revealed. And all who believe on him are saved. And it's the same with you. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. There is a deliverance after hope has died. And then Jesus meets them. And listen to what he says um, when he appears to them. John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. See, fear is wide open, fear and anxiety and worry, right? What's going to happen now? We follow this for three guys. If they kill the leader, what are they going to do to us, right? What are they going to do to us? Um, And so there's this fear. Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Two times in their fear and their uncertainty, Jesus says, Peace be with you. And this is what he says to all of us. In our times of fear, uncertainty, and worry, he says, Peace be with you. You might be going through any of these four different situations right now. You might be working, still working these times, and it's been, you've been in a job that's been unaffected, and maybe you haven't had anyone who's uh, you know, had COVID-19. You may be healthy. God's just providing in the normal way. Or he may be providing this manna for you, taking care of you day by day in a way that only he could do, and it is obvious to you and to everyone around that he has taken care of you. Or maybe he's given you this 11th hour deliverance. Maybe you've been out of work and a bill was due and miraculously somehow the money came in to pay it. Um, or maybe you've been ill or someone that you know has been ill and it just seems like things were getting worse and worse and worse and then they got better, they got healed. God delivered at that 11th hour. But it may be this morning that you're in a place where your hope has died. Or maybe it's in the process of dying. But know this, God is faithful. God will deliver you even after your hope has died. Your hope might die. 
You might give up, but God does not give up. He never gives up. There is hope after hope has died. There is deliverance after your hope has died. And just because your hope has died doesn't mean that your faith has died. Look at those sisters of Lazarus. How many times did they proclaim their faith in, in Christ, right? Jesus, if you had been here, you could have done that 11th hour of deliverance. He's dead, brother's dead in four days. Jesus says you see him again. I know I'm gonna see him again. At the day of resurrection, I will see them again. Their hope died, their faith was intact. And these things can happen. But know this, that Jesus will deliver you. Jesus will deliver you. So how do you work through your faith in these times when either hope has died or is in the process of dying? Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord because he is the God who hears your prayers. Think about Job. There's no one like him on earth. God says he's a blameless man, upright. He fears the Lord. He turns away from evil. And Job loses all of the physical possessions that he has. He loses his livestock, which is his income. He loses his children. He loses everything. Everything is gone. Job is struggling, but his faith is still strong. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Things get worse for Job. He loses his health. The next, like, how, how long is Job? Like 30 chapters or so. The restaurant is where Job is like in bad health and just horrible thing, just chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, right? The, the story of Lazarus and Mary Martha's faith is like this long, right, in the Bible. When you, well, maybe this long in the Bible if you look at it. The story of Job's suffering is like chapter after chapter after chapter. He loses everything. And you know what he says? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though God slay me, I will hope in him. After hope has died, Job is still filled with the hope of the Lord. And so, how do we prepare ourselves in the face of losing these things? When hope is dying, hope in the Lord, because he is the God who hears our prayers. It is so important to realize that and to remember that when you go through these um, difficult times. I want to move now and look at some of the things that God calls us to do. And actually, let me just stop and say this. What time is this service normally op- over? Okay. <laughs> I, I still have a few more stuff to say. I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be the guy who keeps, who keeps talking. But, and I don't want to be, and I, there, I was going to skip this part, but I'm going to say it just for time because I, I think it's, I just think it's important because it, it, it brings us back to Christ and just really makes that connection right there. I just want to look at Abraham and his son Isaac, right? Abraham prays for God for years to give him a son. And his wife prays for years to give him a son. And time goes on, and hope dies for a son. Because Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old. Clearly hope has died at this point. And then God gives him a son. And years later on, God asks Abraham to take his son and to offer him as a sacrifice. Hope for a son, once again, seems to be dying. But Abraham is willing to obey God because he knows that God can deliver even after hope has died. Hebrews eleven seventeen says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. What's that? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. 
for once figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God didn't have him sacrifice his son. God stopped him, and he provided another offering. But this whole event becomes a picture of God willing to sacrifice his son for us. God willing to sacrifice his son so that his son would die, and he would take on our punishment. And rising from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we would be brought into eternal salvation, that we would be brought into heaven with him. But you know what? Abraham had no clue about this at the time. Abraham had absolutely no idea what was going on. What did he know? He knew that God had promised him a son and that God had given him a son. He knew that God was now asking him to sacrifice his son. And he's willing to do it. Why? Because scripture tells us because he knew that God could raise him from the dead. He knew that God could, that he could have hope in God even after his hope died. Even after his hope seems to die because he knew that that's who God was. That's who God was. And he trusted God. And he loved God. And he knew that God would still give him this thing. So, so um, once again, if, if you're in that position, God provides, God cares, and God loves. And these stories in the Bible are meant for us to understand that and to remember that and to relate to that. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take Scripture and say, this is how God works. This is what he does. This is who he is. Here's an example of his love. Here's an example of his kindness. Here's an example of his grace. So I want to move on and look at what God calls us to do. The first thing you need to do, <laughs> so it's going to sound funny, but the first thing you need to do is to listen to what your fear and your worry and anxiety is saying to you, right? We already said it lies to you, so why would you listen to it? Here's why. It reveals your allegiance. It reveals what you treasure. It reveals who you trust. And this is going to give you a clue as to what to do. Because so often we're afraid that we're not going to get something. Something's going to be taken away. Some base of stability is going to be removed. And so it's a chance to find out by listening to it, what are these things that I trust in? What are these things? Um, and see, if we have a, you need to find the specific thing that you're worried about. Because a, a, kind of a vague general feeling of, of fear or anxiety is too slippery to catch, right? You just can't do it. You need to drill down and find out what exactly am I worried about here? Then you can fight it. Edwell says this, anxiety is a string around our finger reminding us that something else has become our refuge. Let me say that again. Anxiety is like a string around our finger reminding us that something else has become our refuge. And so we look at that, and so we listen to what fear says. We listen to what he says. You know, sometimes what it says is that this is because of a sin that you have not dealt with. If that's the case, repent of your sin. Go to God and ask for forgiveness. And once again, listen to the promise, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know what God's most frequent command is? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Over 300 times in the Bible, God says, do not be afraid. Now, to, not, to say don't be afraid sounds impossible, right? It's like, okay, just don't be hungry. All right, that's it, just don't be hungry. <laughs> You're on a diet, just don't be hungry. You're fasting, just don't be hungry. It's like, well, I can't do that, right? And yet, God says it. But listen to the way he says it. Because he just doesn't throw out a blanket, just don't be afraid. Listen to these two verses 
Isaiah 41.10, right? How many times? This is the third time we read this today. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And Luke 12.32, didn't get it in your notes, but it's Luke 12.32, says this. Fear not, little flock. Why? For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That was Luke 12, 32. See, God is your Father, and he loves you, and he cares for you. He is also the king of the kingdom, so he has both the power and the ability to protect you, to strengthen you, to uphold you, to provide for you. But not only that, Luke says it's his pleasure to do this. He wants to do this. See, we don't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps to make ourselves not be afraid. We don't have any possible way to do this. But we go to the king when we are afraid, and we ask him to strengthen us, to uphold us, and to provide us. And he does that. And he also comforts us. And he gives us his peace. So there's two things that we need to do. Number one, we need to be still. And number two, we need to run. Why does that sound funny? Because it is. Fear is impatient, right? It wants things now. It wants to race, and it wants to run. What does God say in Psalms 46? Be still and know that I am God. It's the exact opposite of what fear and worry and anxiety does, right? So anxiety starts to overwhelm you when your skin is crawling, when you just can't sit still. Stop and be still. For every person, stopping and being still is going to be different. For some, it's going to be stopping and sitting in a chair and being still. For others, it's going to be taking a walk and just like out in nature, just like, but just slowing down and being still doesn't mean Physically, which means like this. So for some people, getting outside and walking is what it is. For some people, a journal. Take a, write, a journal and write in. But be still and know that I am God. Slow down. Take your thoughts captive to obey Christ. After you're still, you run. You run to God. You run to Christ. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The opposite of fear is peace. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that is the peace that God promises. This is the peace that God not only promises, but this is the peace that God gives to you. And trust him for your daily bread. Seek him first. Seek his righteousness. These things will be added to you. Rely on God who raises the dead. Reach out to those who are around you. Pray for one another. Help one another. Fellowship with one another. We have all been going through this together. And as we, as we come out of it, remember when I said that, you know, like a... a uh, Sometimes if you have a panic attack, okay, now I worry I'm going to have another panic attack. Or with PTSD, if it comes back to that point, I have that physical thing again. We're all, none of us are unchanged by what's happened during this year, right? And with these things, depending on what we have this, our foundation on, our firm foundation, the tendency for worry and anxiety will be there, right? The tendency for fear will still be there. So we need to come, and we need to, be aware of that, and we need to remind ourselves of the truth, and we need to remind each other of these truths, and we need to be open with each other so that when we see, when we're going through this, we ask other people, and if we see other people going through this, we reach out to them, but I'll be honest with you, I would say, you know, it's like, 
when I go through something, I can guarantee you if it's not Mickey, no one knows that I'm going through it because no one can read me and I'm not an open book, right? So I would encourage you, number one, if you're like me, to try to be open. Number two, re realize that if there's, if there's, you know, 10 people in the room, only one of them's gonna say it, if I'm doing my math right, and nine aren't gonna say it, or maybe it's the opposite, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I kinda lost myself in the math there, so. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, lots of people won't say anything. They just don't say anything. They don't feel comfortable opening up. They don't feel comfortable talking there. But just be assumed that the entire world has gone through something and that the entire world and everyone in here is dealing with this in one way or another. Just kind of be aware of that as well. So I want to just close with these final thoughts. That's this. God says this to you. I am your refuge and your strength. I am an ever-present help in trouble. Did you hear that? I am an ever-present help in trouble. I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. No one can snatch you from my hands. Nothing can separate you from the love. My peace I give to you. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we, Lord, our hearts just reach out for you, Lord, and we cry out for you, Lord, and we have gone through such difficult times this year, and Lord, there, that whole spectrum, Lord, of being uh, in some ways unaffected by it almost, other than having to wear a mask and stay at home and those kind of things financially or physically, some of us have gone unchanged. For others, Lord, hope has died. The 11th hour has come up and gone. The clock has struck midnight and hope has died. And Lord, my heart goes out to those people and your heart goes out to those people, Lord. And as we see scripture progress, we see in the New Testament that happen over and over and over, Lord. Why? Because it shows your glory. Because you're a God who does not give up. You're a God who, who continues to love, Lord. You're a God that we can hope in, Lord. Our hope is in you, Lord, even after our hope has died. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, so much that you are a refuge, that you are a strength, that you are that ever-present uh, help in times of trouble, Lord. We just thank you for that. Lord, let us always, always go to you, Lord. Let us cry out to you, Lord. Help us to be still during those times, Lord, and then help us to run to you. Lord, help us to listen to what fear, worry, anxiety is so that we can address where our heart is, Lord. Not listen to it to hear its lies, but to listen to it to show us our heart, Lord. And then, oh Lord, Help us to remember your truth. You say that your Holy Spirit will bring this to us, Lord. Will bring your word to us. Will bring your truth to us, Lord. That's a promise that you have made, Lord. So we just ask for that now, Lord. Bring your truth through your Holy Spirit to us now. In your precious and your holy name I pray. Amen.